And then now all of a sudden I find myself just looking outside the window and having Paw Patrol on for the millionth time and slicing the same apples and, you know, loving my kids more than anything, but sure. also missing that scent, that part of my identity as a businesswoman, as a creator, as a writer. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Story Forge podcast. I'm your host, Lyle Smith, and today is Talk Freelance Day at the Story Forge. I run my own writing services agency. You've heard me talk about it. It's called Nimblesmith. We do brand story development and content creation, and when we get the right clients, sometimes um, some executive ghostwriting. But in the beginning, about a decade ago, it started as basically a freelance business, and it grew from there. And that is some of what we're going to talk to Ashley Cisneros Mejia about today. Ashley is a friend and a colleague. We've worked together. So it was great to reconnect and catch up on what she's been up to. She's a mom of three kids, a wife of a husband who's a healthcare professional, uh, and she is a writer and an entrepreneur and newly a podcaster. And what she does is help people, particularly women, learn and grow into their own freelance writing businesses. Her work is fantastic, but her mission is more. We talked about a lot of different things, from where her family comes from to how people assume things based on her name or her background. Uh, We also talked about truth and journalism and why it remains important as a vocation even in today's world, maybe because of today's world. Uh, We have a couple of extended clips from this one in the Patreon section, if you care to hear more. Uh, So care to hear more. It's really worth it. Uh, Ashley is a leader in the truest sense of the word. She makes you want to follow her. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. So how'd you get into what, what, you know, you talked about uh, being attracted to the stories of your family and all this kind of stuff. So what, what drew you to journalism? Because you, you, went, you, went you went to journalism school. I did. I, you know, I always loved storytelling. My mom, I mentioned she's a nurse. Mm-hmm. And when she started, she um, paid for her way through college, just a okay. little bit at a time. And so she would take us to the library a lot. So she started as a LPN. And then she got her associate's degree and became an RN. Mm-hmm. Then said, I want to do a bachelor's and so did her bachelor's and now she did her master's and she's a nurse practitioner. But when she started – and she did all this while raising me and my sister and my dad was working too and, you know, education – Right? (laughs) (laughs) Nurses are the – and my husband's a nurse too. I'm I'm like surrounded by nurses. Yeah, so I'm in good good care if I, you know, get injured or something. (laughs) But for me, like she – because she was working um, and she needed to study, she would take us to the library and she would invest all of her extra money into paying classes for more mm-hmm. classes to kind of work her way through this this advancement in her sure. career. So we were always at the library so mom could study and we could have fun, you know. Um, and so I read a lot. I was reading all the time and I loved magazines. I loved newspapers. I'm not sure why. Maybe I'm curious, uh, maybe a little nosy. Right. I want to understand how things work. Right. Um, and so from there, I got interested, you know, in school. Like I was in the newspaper staff and I did like little – I wasn't really good at poetry, <laughs> but I loved writing like news type stories. Sure. That was the only thing I was really – that I enjoyed. I did math 
I was okay in math. I was okay in science and these other things. But English, I loved it. Give me a five-paragraph essay any day. Like, I <laughs> love that. Um, and so I think when it came time to decide what to pursue in college, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, journalism. That there That's that's what I love. I love that. And also, I think I have a, a stripe of social justice uh and I, I care deeply about truth. I care right. deeply about, I think that journalism and democracy are two sides of the same coin. You know, they're yin and yang. They, Fourth you, estate, me, yeah. 100%. I believe in that passionately. Um, and so, yeah, that led me to study journalism. Didn't, I was a newspaper reporter early for a small paper uh, in North Florida and yeah. then worked at the business magazine. And then the Great Recession came and like turned everything on its on its right, head. Right, right. Everything's, yeah. everything's different after that. Everything was different. Yes. So, but you worked, I mean, so you came in and I just listened to your, your episode with your, your friend who's the, um, the White House. Oh, thank uh, you for listening. I appreciate and it. And it's, it's a great episode. They, there's a great conversation you guys had. Thank you. And, um, so she comes at it from the, like sort of the hard news back. Yes. You know, yep. and you kind of came in sort of through magazines and features. Yeah. Uh, if I'm not wrong that's yep that's it so what's what's your what's your perspective on the press from sort of the magazine world because you have a little more space to do some do things in yeah I think for me and actually when we did our our majors in in school she did there was like tracks it was mm-hmm. interesting at the time you could do tele telecommunications you could do photojournalism you could do news or magazines and I did magazines only because I love I I needed more space the inverted yeah. pyramid was just I'm like but there's more here there's right. more of a story here and <laughs> and I love that I, I want to know the story behind the story right. and so I think that's why I chose features and I loved magazines um too like I just I subscribe to a lot of magazines I I think it's a uh, you talked about the golf publication and mm. just the experience, and I think yeah. that's what it is. And it's, it's a exper- physical experience. It's an it, experience. Right? Yeah. It's delicious. It's luxurious. Uh, you can kind of nestle into the story and kind of lose yourself into it. Right. Um, that you can't do, you know, when you've got a couple inches to kind of just say what happened at city council meeting. That's right. you know, they're two different <laughs> right. things, right? Right. <clears throat> so, in terms of magazines, you know, it's. It's interesting. I always feel like I kind of come to things maybe a little late because I remember when we were studying in J school, you know, the internet, I remember our professor talking to us about Netflix when it was just Mm -hmm. a concept. Right. And I remember sitting there thinking, I don't know that this is really going to, I don't know if they can take (laughs) on Blockbuster, right? Right. And I remember when my friend Fernando was like, hey, there's this thing called Facebook that I graduated in 2004. Facebook came out in 2004. And he was like, hey... You, there's this cool thing called Facebook, you know, you can connect with your fellow students. And I'm like, why would I want to do that? Like, why would I, you know, like <laughs> what, what's, and it's right. Like famous last words because right. later I worked in social media and social media has just like it's, taken yeah, over. Yeah. Right. And so I just remember feeling so passionate about magazines and print. And then all the, I felt like just a couple of years later, all the magazines went out of business. Um, the internet and blogs and kind of the whole way publications make money, it like died. And I felt like, wait a minute, I just spent four years learning about all this. And where did you guys go? Like what happened? Um, So for me, it was kind of hard. It was very hard. I, I know 
you know, seeing like veteran journalists kind of lose everything during the Great Recession with the layoffs. It was hard because I was only a couple years out of school. Right. And I definitely was laid off. Right. Right. <laughs> but it, I look at magazines as, I guess, more of a luxury now. I, I still, still subscribe to them. Um, I still defend the press when people on Facebook are talking about the big bad media. And I'm kind of like, oh, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> I kind I mean, of always say to them, you know, the media reflects us as society. It reflects, it reflects us as viewers. If we are not in our nature, in our animalistic nature, if we're not attracted to blood and guts and sad things, guess what? Those stories are not going to get clicks. They're, right. they're not going to get attention for their ads. They're not going to get, um, you know, it, it, if, it, if it bleeds, it leads. There's a reason for that because we <laughs> as humanity are attracted to that. It's sad. It's we don't want to look true. at that part of ourselves, but that's, it reflects us. If good news, if we really as human beings cared about good news, then more good news would appear by, you know, and it'd be reported on by news publications. But right. we're only going to have, you know, you're only going to see what sells or what gets right. attention. So it's, if you want to be mad, we can just look in the mirror and be mad at ourselves. <laughs> That's true. I think, you know, you make a handful of points there that are, that are worth exploring. Um I think when you say the press is like us, I think, uh, and the media is like us, I think that's absolutely right. I think the government is the same way. Yes. We, we elect the government. We get the government. Oh, dear. We get the government we, we deserve. deserve. Right? Yes. So, yeah. and we have like a third of eligible voters in America never cast a ballot. It kills so me. until we have, you know, 70, 80, 90% of everybody who's eligible to vote voting, our government's not really going to look like us. Hundred percent. It's not going to reflect. It's not going to reflect what we care about. It's not going to reflect what what we value, uh, and and the way um, the media has gone in the last decade, fifteen years in the social media uh, uh, lane, um, it's even more. You know, if it bleeds, it bleeds, and it's 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 even more. The shock value is the only thing people care about. Yeah, and. Um, and I think, you know, I always say this too, because people, I, re, I try to remind people who get upset about it. I say, you got to remember the things you see in the newspaper or on TV or whatever, they are there because they are unusual. Mm. If it was the same thing that happened every mm -hmm. day, it wouldn't make the paper. Absolutely. You know, so no matter how angry you get, no matter how <laughs> upset you are about whatever judgment's going on out there, try to remember that okay all right it's still it's the reason it's there is it's unusual you know um even you know you talk about school shootings and all this other mm -hmm. stuff it's horrible what the the rate at which these things happen oh in America God. but that doesn't mean that every time your kid goes to school they're at risk of getting shot right when you look you know, at the statistics the, the statistics are still it's still pretty safe yeah um so, you know, you got to remember these things. You got to temper your opinions about things. And, uh, and, you know, like you say, the papers are kind of designed to get that itch going for something. That's, Definitely. That's crazy. And even more so now when you see these corporate ownership consolidations, you know, it, the paper, the new, and I'm really thinking more of cable news, mm -hmm. um, ownership looks a lot different than it did years ago. Yeah you know, decades ago. And so there's a reason 
certain um there's a certain agendas there's certain viewpoints that you find on certain cable news networks um right. even the idea of just tw- a 24 hour news reporting you know when cnn was kind of the first in the game to do that and you have yeah. all these talking heads and to the general consumer they don't know the difference between here I'm presenting the news and here we're discussing viewpoints and talking heads. They yeah. see the talking heads, you know, spouting their opinions on the news right. and they, they they just classify that as news, right? right. That's the news. I saw well, it on the it's news. It's on the news channel, yeah. Correct. So it's got to be news. <laughs> it's got to be news yeah. and it's not. It's that's not. that's an opinion. That's kind all. of like their, you know, editorials, if you will. It used to be, again, when I was a kid, it was uh, PBS on, uh, I think, no, it wasn't PBS. It was like the local New York station, Channel 11, right? So it was all local news, all local stuff, uh, local shows, local kids shows, the whole bit. And, um, but every week, and I, I don't remember when it was, it was like Wednesday at seven or something like that. It was after the news and this thing would come up and the the news anchor would come up and do an opinion piece. Mm. And it was three minutes, five minutes, two and a half minutes. I don't mm-hmm. know, something like that about some, some, something that was going on in the news of the day. And they would, he would do a feature and across the screen, it would say editorial. This is the opinion of right. blah, blah, blah. And it would very clearly identify it as, yeah. as editorial, not uh, news. And, um, and I remember that was a big thing growing up being taught that, that the news is the news and the editorial, you know, the editorial pages, it even looks different. It's laid out different. Um, so yeah, that's, I think that's a big, and it goes back actually, are you familiar, you're familiar with, you must be familiar with the movie network. Yes. Um, which is that, that happened about, that came out about the time the, the TV networks, brought their news divisions under the organizational umbrella of the entertainment division. So all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden, uh, you know, uh, advertising and uh, how many people are watching your show and all this stuff mattered. Right. When before that, the news time on the network was owned by the public. Mm. Still is. It's not treated that way, but it still is. Um, so that set us down this this path of of sort of a really dangerous path i think and in terms of blurring the lines between oh my gosh you know so then you start saying okay what is truth what's the true story tell me the truth exactly and i'm like well i'm telling you the story that's exciting that you want to hear sure uh you know uh, we were playing i'm talking too much you should be talking no this is Um, great the uh we were playing a family uh uh, session of, of uh, trivial pursuit over the weekend. And a question came up about um, what network got sued for airing a story when they, they basically, um, by Ford Motor Company, because they, they basically blew up one of Ford's cars. And I was like, I remember this story. And it was, it was um, Dateline, I think it was. And really? they, what happened was Ford had this story uh, that these cars were getting in, in accidents and exploding. Mm. So they were, you know, getting sued and getting investigated and all this stuff. And so Dateline wanted to do a story on it. So they did this story. They were showing the cars. They were trying to get B-roll of a car crashing and an, and an explosion. And they couldn't get the Ford to explode. So, you know, instead of doing it another way, in a news way, you know, what did they do? 
They wired the car with explosives oh and had it explode gosh. on camera. And oh Ford dear. said, you can't do that. Mm. <laughs> you can't yeah. do that. You made it explode. We didn't exactly. make it explode. And they won. Ford won, uh, as they should have. Mm-hmm. But uh, but that's that's a that's a unfortunate result of um, you know making news entertainment, right? It's a hot mess that combined <laughs> with Facebook and people. There needs to be I don't know if it's a public education campaign, public service mm-hmm. announcement campaign, teaching people how to do just what you said, discern. Right. This is what news is. This is what opinion is. This is what entertainment is. This is, you know, these different things because look what happened with the election. Look what happened, you know, when you get algorithms and people will say, oh, yeah, I saw it. I saw this. Or they're saying that XYZ candidate is whatever. Right. Well, who's they? Because right. just because someone posted something on Facebook and, you know, and I I love blogs. I have a blog. Um, and I love that in some ways that the internet has, um, made a level playing field for people to share news, to share their opinions and whatnot. But the trade-off is now the internet is flooded with things that look like pseudo news sites or that people, the general consumer again, doesn't know what you were saying, like, or hasn't been exposed to things that are deliberately labeled that this is editorial, this is not news, right? Right. And then you add to that artificial intelligence, which is now (laughs) regurgitating what's already been on the internet since I think it's till November, 2021. Mm -hmm. And so I'm scared for the future because we're already struggling with figuring out what's truth or people are even having that debate. Well, what is truth anyway? That's scary. Right. And they're not, they don't have these critical thinking skills or they haven't been taught. This is how you discern what is news, um, where's the source, who benefits by this uh, news being out or this vantage point. You know, we need a whole education and we need to have a, have a whole module now about AI. It's just, well, the AI it's thing, lot. it's funny because I've, I've been, now we're going to, I'm going to shift over into the, uh, your, your next, uh, <laughs> your next uh, envisioning of yourself, but it's, um, you know, I'm doing work for a client, uh, marketing work, promotional writing, Mm -hmm. this kind of stuff. And so I I said, well, let's, let's experiment with some of these AI tools a little bit. So I experimented with one, got it out there, wrote, and it, it, it brought back some pretty decent first round, first draft stuff. But I went and looked at it in a little bit deeper. And then all of a sudden there's a handful of things that are just absolutely wrong. Right. Absolutely wrong. And if you're someone who's going to say, oh, AI did it for me, put it out. That's a problem, you know, where you still have to have somebody who's going to go and review it and make sure, no, wait, this is actually true. This is actually right. This is correct. Blah, blah, blah. You know, I had another project I was working on uh, before I got on this, this call with you, um, where I'm pulling out sort of industry statistics to, mm-hmm. to use within this this thing that they're doing and I always make sure that I pull in the source for each one of these things uh, so that they because the idea is that they can go use this and say you know 25 percent of all blah blah blahs do this right and but th- but they should be able to say well that information comes from Gallup Absolutely. or it comes from you know whatever polling authority that comes from whatever study was done um, because if you don't you're just you're just spitting out numbers, you know? Um, so I think that's even when you get into, and I think that can be more effective. You talk about the authenticity 
we talked about early on, if you are doing promotional work, um, if you have that sort of third party backup, it makes it more credible, it makes it more people believe you more where it's yes. like, oh, wait, that came from a real source. <clears throat> yeah. You know, it's not like, oh, I read it on Facebook. It's like, yeah, but oh, where did dear. it come from? <laughs> well, I read it on Facebook. Right. No, right. Facebook didn't publish that. Exactly. Somebody shared it to you. Where did it come from? Yes. So, um, so, but so, so that you make this move, uh, is this a great recession time where you, where you sort of make the move from, um, how do you make the move from being a journalist to being an entrepreneur who started, you know, multiple different businesses at this point? Um, yeah, I think for me it was survival. So, you know, I had all of these very idealistic ideas about journalism and I still do. I mm -hmm. still do. Um, when I was a reporter and I always loved business. Um, I got the business, I got a job at Florida trend business mm -hmm. publication. I was there for a couple of years. Then the market tanked mm -hmm. and I suddenly found myself needing to reinvent myself while right. I was at trend. I decided to get a master's degree in entrepreneurship. And it's funny because I think I always major in things that you can totally learn on the job, like journalism, right. like you said, you can totally <laughs> learn it on the job. I don't know that I learned it any better or worse. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. Um, it's, I just learned I, it differently. That's yeah. All. I mean, I think it gave me, like you were talking about credibility. Maybe people would give me a second yeah. chance, a second view because of that, uh, having, you know, that detail in my resume. But I learned from doing in right. journalism and in business. And I think when the market tanked in 2008, I was laid off, mm -hmm. had to figure out how to make some money. I had just finished my master's program and I had like $17,000 in student loan debt for that degree. Yeah. That was just that degree. Um, and then, um, I had just purchased a little condo. It was super cheap, but still like I had to pay this mortgage, right. um, off. And so I was just like, okay, I need to find a job. Right. Started freelancing to just, you know, make ends meet. I had been applying and applying and I feel like everything in news was just dying that time. I feel like every week, every day I was seeing emails about these newsrooms where people were just getting Fight, getting laid off, losing their jobs. Well, the threat came in. The internet threatened it. The Great yes. Recession threatened it, and they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to do it. They didn't know how. how they still don't really have any idea how to fix it uh, or change it. It's not even fix it. It's just evolve. How do they evolve into something different that's going to survive? A hundred percent. So yeah, that's tough. Yeah, I um, I got a job as uh, with a government defense contractor as a technical writer. Mm -hmm. That was way different yeah, <laughs> than anything yeah. I had done, I've done before. Some of that too. Yeah. It was great. I mean, it was a great company. It was interesting for me to kind of see the way this whole other industry works. I remember when I was in the newsroom, there was a supply cabinet. And if you wanted like some supplies, I remember, or maybe it was it, I can't remember if it was the magazine or the newspaper. One of them, they had the supply closet, a little uh -huh. cabinet. And if you wanted a pencil or a pen or a new notebook or whatever, I think you had to log it. Um, you know, you had to basically like, yeah. you can't just, it wasn't like office deep. It wasn't like a free for all. Yeah. And I remember when I started at the government defense contractor, my boss was like, Oh, do you need like this fancy thing for a, a, a rest thing for your computer mouse? Do you need a headset? Do you need, and I'm like, um, okay. She said, here's this catalog, just get what you want. And I'm like, what? Yeah, it's a very different world. Way different. 
way different. <laughs> so that was that was cool. I did that for a while, but I I missed my now husband. That was we were in a different cities for that job. Mm-hmm. So I feel like because of the recession, I had to reinvent myself right. and figure out a way to transfer these writing skills to survive. So I became a tech writer because I had to. Later when I moved, I did um, market. I was a marketing manager for Chamber of Commerce because I was like, oh, I can leverage my business experience working for the magazine and I right. understand entrepreneurs. So I did that. Mm-hmm. Then I did um, public relations, kind of like crisis work, mm-hmm. um, realized that I that's not for me. I get stressed out. <laughs> I start to wear my clients, you know, their problems become my problems. And right. yeah, I just didn't that I wasn't really good at that. I felt like, yeah. um, but then I was, I was freelancing. Freelancing was with me the entire time. Right. I always was writing on the side or tinkering with an article on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, I started uh, two agencies. I had a business partner at that time, um, this was around 2011, 2012. I feel like the idea of content marketing and right. inbound marketing, p- right. people were talking about that a lot. And I had started to do social media. Um, I was kind of like a early adopter of I'm very fascinated by social because mm-hmm. I saw social media and blogs as taking a, a big factor in the demise of print. Right. So I was like, I need to learn this stuff. Um so all that's to say, started doing digital marketing for clients. Um, and then now I'm in this new season. That was really my 20s. Um, yeah, it was pretty much all of my 20s. My 30s, I start having kids right. and I realize I need flexibility. Right. And that's how I've kind of come to this circle where I'm doing freelancing and teaching other women about and, and men too. Um about how freelancing can allow you to write and be creative, but have more autonomy over your schedule if you have right. these other personal caregiving op- um, right. obligations. Right. That's but that's interesting. I mean, because it's like it's all because I got you know we've come to all of these things, similar things from totally different ways. Uh, right. I think, and and um, you know, I've throughout my career of doing, I did some technical writing. I did some, you know, uh, um, I was a, a web developer, they called it. Wow. It was the early days of the web and yeah. I, I didn't code anything. I didn't, I wrote for the website is what I did. Awesome. Uh, so I was developing the content for the website before you had this notion of content or yeah. content marketing. Um, but all, again, all through that, I, I took on clients from outside. Somebody needs help. We'll do some freelance. We'll, you know, we'll get you taken care of. Here's your, here's your bill. Here's your very very (laughs) small bill. Um, and, uh, you know, that took time to grow into, you know, uh, and I had been working for an agency in New York and came home frustrated again about something. And my wife said, could you do this for yourself? Wow. And I thought about it for a minute and I'm like, I, I, I think so. Yeah. And then, you know, I got, I had a friend who was a partner at Deloitte who needed some work done and some regular work done. uh, And all of a sudden that made going out on my own possible. So, you know, it's funny how these, these stories kind of, kind of come out, but the, but now you've come into now advising, uh, coaching, training women in particular um, to, to find a a flexible career in, in writing. Um, your podcast is called talk to me about freelance. 
Yeah, talk freelance to me. Which is awesome. Me. Talk yeah. freelance to me. I'm uh-huh. sorry. No problem. Uh, talk freelance, which I love. I've listened to a few of them and and I'm like, I just love your approach. I love the way you talk about it. And it's and and the stories, even if they're not here, do these three things, get this result. It's like a story that kind of inspires you to say, okay, well, I could do that. I could. Absolutely. And I think that's really powerful. Um to the point where I think we need to have an offline conversation about my business. Awesome. Because I think you can help me. Yeah, I'd uh, love to. But it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. So how, how has that been going? Where, cause how, it's fairly new still. The it podcast is. anyway is fairly new. Uh, how's it going? How are your, you know, how are your people? Cause so I know my- knowing you again, I, I feel like these are your people. This is your tribe. You're sort of protecting them, you know? I love it. You know, and it, it really came about informally too. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it was a whole thing and I'm still figuring it out. Like you said, sure. it's still in its infancy. Um, because I, during the pandemic, I feel like, I mean, for me, I had all these grand plans to start other businesses, to do other things. And then when the pandemic hit, you know, my husband works in healthcare. Right. We have three little kids at the time I had a kindergartner and a two year old and a baby who was, he was like seven months old. Um, so at the time my husband's looking at me, like, I got to go to work. I got to go to the hospital. Um, put your laptop down. I need you to like be in the kitchen. And, and so for a while I was just doing momming, which was way different for me because (laughs) I had always, I had, you know, I love to work. Quite frankly, I love to work. I love the sense of fulfillment that comes when you complete a piece, when you complete an article or a campaign or you launch a website for a customer. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was a huge part of my identity and then now all of a sudden I find myself just looking outside the window and having Paw Patrol on for the millionth time and slicing the same apples and, you know, loving my kids more than anything, but sure. also missing that scent, that part of my identity as a businesswoman, as a creator, as a right. writer. Um, that and creation, I got, that's, that's, I'm stopping you in the middle yeah. of the answer. I'm sorry, but sure. that, that creation, because that's, that's sort of the theme of what I'm doing here is this, this idea that making things matters, right? Yes. And so you've, you've done so much. You, you, you were, you were, as a journalist, you made stories, you, you gathered stories and you made them into a story that other people could absorb and, and, and have meaning from you, uh, you created multiple, uh, marketing businesses that, that, that created things for those clients and, and help their businesses grow. You, uh, you created three kids, you and right. your husband, you, <laughs> yeah. uh, and now you're in this freelance thing, which is like, yeah, it's, oh yeah, she's doing another business, but that's not really what it is. What you're doing, you're creating something that creates other things, creates other people I love that. who are Thank doing you. it. And so that's really, to me, that I think was, so what is that, you know, do you think about that, A, and, you know, what does it mean to you, uh, what you're doing? I I think so, and I think I've never thought of it that way. You know, quite frankly, you mentioned my episode with my dear pal, um, Laura, the White House correspondent. You yeah. know, we both started, we met the first couple of days before the fall semester of our freshman mm-hmm. year. I mean, she was literally the first person I met. That's awesome. And we started J School together and we took fact finding together and we took news writing classes and reporting classes together. Um, and she, she was able to do what I wasn't able to do. 
I feel like I I had just this love, like we talked about, just this love for what journalism is. Right. And so I always felt like because I took all these detour, I took all these detours, you know, like I said, out of survival, just because of these um I needed to generate income, these opportunities presented themselves. And I just was like, all right. I'm going to learn this. I'm going to learn how to transfer what I've studied and what I've done into this new thing. Kind of scared about it, but I'm still going to do it um, because I have to. And I always admired all the journalists that I went to school with. And I'm kind of looking at them like, wow, you know, they're at this outlet. They managed to stay. You know, did I sell out? Did I sell out by like doing public relations? <laughs> you know, because we would hear because that. You you made the uh, you made the going to the dark side, joke, <laughs> which I, I've made for years. Is like because I went from from you know journalism to marketing, and all of a sudden yeah. that's what all my all my journalism friends said I go to the dark side. Right, but it's uh, <laughs> you know, and now it's funny because now you can't you can't have a marketing conversation without somebody telling you they're a storyteller. Mm, um, mm-hmm. which never happened for a long, yeah. long time. I, that was not, you know, I, the best, I, I tell you, here's, here's what, here's, here's also the funniest thing. The best writing advice I ever got, uh, was from Sandy Turner. What was Sandy's name? She was one of the reporters at, at the local paper I went to work for, uh, to do a test for initially. And I came back from like the town meeting with, all these notes about all these different things. And I'm like, I've been reading newspapers for years, so I should know how to do it, yeah. but I don't. And I'm sitting there and I have this look of just, I don't know what it is on my face. And she looks at me and she's, cause she was at the same meeting and says, uh, so you're doing a test, right? And I said, yeah. And he says, so what are you gonna write about? And I said, well, I'm not sure. I have all this stuff. And it's like, do I write about, you know, this, all this stuff, like a roundup, all this stuff happened at the meeting or do I pick? And she said, no, no, here's what you do. Take a breath, <laughs> get a coffee, take a <laughs> breath, uh, pick out one, pick out one that you, you think you get, pick out one that you think you understand. Uh, and then start writing it and just write it as if you're explaining it to your grandmother. Love it. And I was like, and I, you know, and I'm close, I was close to my grandmother. And, it, you know, yeah. even if I wasn't, I guess I would understand what that meant, right. which is she knows nothing about any of this. Right. Explain it to her. Mm. And I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. Okay. So basically she said, tell a story. Yeah. They call them stories for a reason, right? Yes. So tell a story. And so the idea when everybody starts saying, well, I, you know, I'm a storyteller or I'm a, you know, visual storyteller or I'm a this or that or whatever kind of marketing storyteller, blah, social media storyteller, whatever. Um, you know, I've been not necessarily using that language for years, but that's the mindset I've had for years. And uh, you kind of forget it sometimes because it's like inherent to who we are as human beings to tell stories about each other. A hundred percent. And that's a skill. I think of that, you know, I had friends when I was studying, studying journalism, you know, who were doing engineering or these really technical majors and their professors had crazy CVs. I mean, just credentials for days. Mm -hmm. But when they were teaching, a lot of them were ineff ineffective in the way that, you know, my friends were saying, God, I can't, I don't like this guy just drones on and I, I just don't like, 
I don't know what he's saying, or right? I'm not right. learning anything. Like the, these professors were so smart in whatever their field of study was, they could not get down to level one. They, they were so high up. They didn't know their way back down to say, all right, I'm teaching this to someone who is brand new who's a novice, who hasn't done this for 40 years like I have. So your skill and kind of thinking of your grandmother and approaching anything that, you know, that you've reported on or you've taken notes on and remembering kind of where to start from uh, and how to present the information. Right. That's a huge skill. That's a it's, huge It's a massive talent. skill. And, and you can learn it too. But this is, I'm yeah. making a shape here. This is, this is what you're talking about. It's the inverted pyramid. <laughs> it is the inverted pyramid. Because you start with the big broad strokes and then yeah. you dig down into the details. And every story, every good story kind of does the same thing. Yes. You know, uh, it might start with a really specific detail, but then it has to it has to open up the aperture so you can see where it, where it lives. Right. And then you explain where it, you know, why it fits where it fits. And, you know, uh, I, I use a phrase, um, the curse of knowledge with my clients all the time. That's, that's the curse of knowledge. <laughs> it is you, a curse. <laughs> you know everything there yeah. is to know about what you know. Mm-hmm. And it's your natural tendency to want to, when you're telling somebody about it, to want them to understand everything that you know right now. Right. Which is impossible. You can't, it just can't happen. It just can't happen. So uh, you have to figure out a way to communicate, to tell them the story of what you know, not just tell them what you know. And um, it's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. It and you hard. have to remind yourself of it. Even, even those of us who do it for a living. We have to go back and remind ourselves to do that uh, because it's it's we all have a natural tendency. Like we have a natural tendency to be attracted to you know the bleeding headline. We have a natural <laughs> tendency to to want to just just blah, every bit of information <laughs> out there all at once, and yeah. that doesn't help anybody. It just makes a mess. It does a huge mess, a mess in many ways that trickle down into all kinds of other things and <laughs> cause other problems. <laughs> so. Where do you where do you see uh, what you're doing? Go, how's it going? A and yeah. B. Where do you see it heading? So I think I'm still figuring that out. Mm-hmm. I'm starting. What I want to do. One goal that I have this summer at the time of this recording is I want to launch an accountability group. What I've learned is there's a lot of folks who are talking about similar things to me. <laughs> um, and that's great. To me, I'm I'm thinking, okay, that means there's a demand. That means right. there's there's something here, right? Right. You never want to be just the only one. Right. Um, and to be the one to test it, you know, because testing can be expensive if you make a mistake um, or if there's not, you know, a demand there. Um, and so but that's the piece that I'm thinking. So at first I was developing a course um, about creating a freelance business. And these are these are things that I've done wrong um, that have been expensive and painful right. to go through. And I things. remember a couple of years ago you were talking about wanting to create some sort of an educational something. Yeah. yeah. And I, 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 that's, why I, that's why I was excited when I saw what you were doing. Yeah. And I've thought about a book. Um, and maybe I will still develop, you know, different things for, for people at different price points or different, you know, interest levels. But the thing that I'm, I think people need, um, is just action or, or, or systems to help them take action and to get traction quickly. Because as you know, this type of work where you literally are solo entrepreneur, uh, we are our own boss and we, 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 
are the people in charge of making the money, doing the work, you know, the whole nine. And so I think, and it's a very much of a lonely, it can get lonely sometimes too. Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking of using that kind of format because I've gotten, and even just how it started is I had other women, even in my neighborhood, who were messaging me, people that were, even I had a photojournalist from a business publication who had retired early or taken a severance package. It's like, tell me about this freelance thing. How does right. this work? How do you get clients? How do you get right. started? Well, How do you invoice people? Right there. <laughs> right. And so I, it started with just me sharing resources and it was just DMs, Facebook right. messages, DMs, email threads. And I'm like, I'm getting the same questions. There's something here. Yeah. And I think for me, because I saw so many women leave the workforce after the pandemic or during mm -hmm. the pandemic right. and all, and the uh, unspoken kind of penalty um, that some of them have suffered yeah. because of working from home and working remotely and what have you, and they're still kind of struggling to get, get that back, get back where right. they were, combined with lack of childcare, the expense of childcare. I've seen a lot of women who have such rich talents and years of experience in different industries and are saying kind of what you were saying, mm -hmm. can I do this by myself? Right. And so right. I'm seeing, okay, there's general entrepreneurship principles that we can take to apply to different services that people have mm -hmm. that would allow them to still offer these services to the world. But with, but on their own terms. And right. so, how can we close this gap? How can we apply entrepreneurship for people? Not everybody wants to have a staff of fifteen people and deal with management issues. And well, that's uh, this is an interesting <laughs> point right here because I yeah. think since the pandemic, uh, it's it's accelerated. But yeah. in the last decade, it's it's kind of been happening. It's been bubbling under the surface a little bit, yeah. where. Um, you know, a lot of companies don't want to hire people to be staff anymore. Exactly. They don't want to have, they don't want to have all the headaches. They don't want to have the, all the expenses. They don't want to have all that stuff. But they, the one thing they've been unwilling to let go of is the control or the sense oh my that, God. The, that, that, that uh, fictional sense of control hundred uh, percent of, of people sitting at a desk in their office. You know, mm -hmm. I told you one time I worked in an agency in New York and they had what they called permalancers which was basically they had a staff of people in their office working who were technically freelancers, but they had to be in the office and they oh didn't get benefits and they didn't, you know, it's, it's just, it was, it was just a cheat around the system, if you ask mm -hmm. me. And that, that was, the, that was the place I was working that I was so frustrated yeah. and went out on my own because it was wow. just, I couldn't, I, I had a hard time dealing with that and um, just being a part of it. Cause I was on staff as a creative director and um I, I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could make demands of these people the same way you would of a staffer. Sure. So it just made it, it just made it a lot harder than saying, okay, whereas if somebody was a true freelancer, you gave them the assignment, you make sure they understand it and they deliver it on time. Uh, and if they don't, you find another freelancer. A hundred percent. It's a very different dynamic. Yes. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a thing. And, and so I, I really admire what you're doing with these folks. Cause it's, it's, it is a, um, a mystery if you don't know it, you know? Uh, yeah, it's a whole world. And I think you're seeing more layoffs in the tech space. I've seen, I feel like I've seen these headlines every day. And so I think, more people are trying to are saying, wait a minute, there are there's softwares that will help me 
um, figure out how to project manage these things that I'm doing for customers. Right. There's invoicing software. There's time tracking software. There's ways that I can hire other freelancers to help me on a project where I'm not having to to hire them myself, yeah, I right? I definitely have to talk to you about some of this stuff. Right. So there's, there's, <laughs> I have some tools open. that fix some of this stuff, but it's like, it's, it's a, it's a wrestling match all the time. It it's is. like, oh, that looks good. Let me try that. I don't know. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, but it's, it's good. And that's, I mean, that's, that's invaluable to people who, who, and again, working in sort of the creative end of the world, mm-hmm. um, there are so many people out there who have, really valuable things to offer to other companies, to other uh, not-for-profit organizations, whatever organization you're working with, working for, they have a lot of value and a lot of creative vision to offer to people if they can only figure out how to either, they get it out there and the, you know, the customer recognize it, bring it in. So it's, it's, um, you know, there's, there's no one source for good ideas and, um, and you just have to sort of market it in the right way, I think. And, and that seems like a lot of what you're doing here with these people. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I am, I'm approaching it from a couple of different ways. The podcast was for years. I started, I, I listened to podcasts and consumed them, especially a lot during the pandemic. Cause I would mm-hmm. have them playing when I was, you know, folding towels, uh, washing kids' clothes for the millionth <laughs> yeah, time, you know, yeah, all these yeah. mundane things that I'm like, okay, well, I need something to stimulate my brain. Right. I need to think. Right. And so I would consume these podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had some friends that started podcasts. And I love to talk. Um, and I thought, why, why am I not doing this? And I had some friends that shared, and my husband's like, you're consuming content all day. That's all you're doing. What, when are you going to create your own content? Right. <laughs> and so right. I thought, okay, there's something here. I've had the best time. I've, I've, um, I'm trying to put out an episode every two weeks. So I've recorded 14 episodes and so I'm putting them out, you know, every this two is weeks. the hard thing. Cause I started yeah. <laughs> out, my intent was to put one out every week and I was pretty good at it for a while. Yeah. And then, uh, my problem was not so much having, and we talked about this too, not so much having the time to do it, but having, being able to book the guests to, to interview them. Right. And, um, and you know, cause, it, I, cause it, at some points I had four or five of them in the can ready to go at any time. And yeah. sometimes I had nothing. Um, and now I've started doing, and this is what we talked about is doing a few more solo kind of episodes where I just That's kind of great. talk about things that mean something to me or, or mm-hmm. something I have expertise in or whatever. And I had done a few of those kind of special episodes um, but then I was talking to a friend of mine who, who said, Oh, I listened to that one episode of you and I really, really loved it. And I was like, Oh, who did I talk to? That's great. And he said, no, it's that one that was on, it was on, uh, on veterans day on the world, world war one history yeah. thing you did. And I'm like, that was just me. I could do that. There's something there. And, I'm telling uh, you. Lyle. So I started, so I started doing a few more. I did one this week that was just, uh, it was actually an old piece I wrote years ago called hundred things I believe. Fantastic. That I went back and rewrote and updated uh, based on current, how I currently feel about these things, pretty much held up. Um, but it was really, it was satisfying to do just the one-off solo thing and, and, and do it that way, a little more uh, formal than, than these conversations. 
And uh, so that's for me, that's, uh, this is, I guess this is me giving you advice. I don't know. It's like that, that's making it easier to fill in the, the, the schedule and be consistent with, with releasing these things. I so appreciate it. It's funny. I think, because... No, I was, go ahead. I was going to say, I was going to say my goal is to now maybe once every two weeks or so, it seems reasonable if I can do that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we'll see. we'll see. I, I love it. And you know, to your point, when I finally looked at the analytics, cause I've only published five episodes, I want to say. So mm-hmm. I'm still um, in my infancy of figuring out the workflow and all that jazz. So I did look at the analytics and I have a solo episode just about Freelance 101. It's very right. informational. In my opinion, it's kind of boring. And that's the one that has the most listens. And I'm thinking, wait, you don't want to listen to me and my friend Gab about journalism. <laughs> I funny. love that one, but so, I, I, I love the other one too, because it's, it's, uh, I, I think you've identified a real sort of specific and, and you may change this over time because it took yeah. me a while. I did 20 interviews before I realized, uh, you know, I called it the story for it, but it took me 20 episodes to kind of realize what's it, what's this about? Mm-hmm. And then I, I realized, no, it's about making things. And it's about people who make things that matter uh, yeah. to them, to the world, to the family, whomever, but it's, there's some, something that there, some reason, what's the, why, what's the, what's, what's the reason they're doing this? And, uh, and I feel like if I can get to that, I'm doing my job. I um, love it. So that, that has helped. And, and uh, yours is pretty solid as it is, but you may, over the time, it may evolve and you might sort of have a realization of like, okay, what is this really about? Like, what's that, you know, yeah. it's like, like, a, like a bullseye on a dartboard has two bullet has the outside bullseye and the, and the little bullseye in the middle. It's like I had the, bull, had the big bullseye and then it took me a while to figure out the little bullseye. A hundred percent. And I think that's, it makes sense, right? Because even when you sit down to write, sometimes your story takes another turn or or sometimes you see an angle that you tease it out a bit and the story just goes another way, right? (laughs) I didn't see that coming. Exactly. And I think the only way we can uncover that and allow the idea to birth itself and to reveal itself to us is by doing, you know, by doing, by making. And I love what you're doing because people always say, you know, people, Americans don't make anything anymore or the U.S. doesn't make anything anymore. And I think, no, I think I don't agree with that. And I think that there's a lot of people making things. Maybe it's yeah. it's different than what we think of like factories. There are different. It's, it's, it's not the big manufacturing. Right. Warhorse. It used to be. But, you know, the, we're, we're still a culture of people who invent things. Yes. More so than I think almost any other country on earth. Now I, that's just yeah. sort of out of my rear end making that statement. But it's, <laughs> it's um, I just feel like, 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 like rock and roll music. I always think, mm-hmm. you know, when you listen to rock and roll, uh, British invasion, notwithstanding. Right. <laughs> uh, jazz rock music came from this country for mm-hmm. a lot of different reasons. Yes. And so there are rock bands in Russia, there are rock bands in Thailand, there are rock bands in Africa. But if you ask me when I listen to it and I hear, and sometimes it's kind of exciting, the best rock music, uh, the best pop music kind of comes out of this tradition, this sort of American Western R&B tradition. Um, even the British stuff came from an introduction to blues music yes. in Britain. So it's, it's a direct line, you know? So I think I, so, the, and that's an invention. That's, an, that's something that was invented out of nowhere. 
you know, uh, not really. It was invented out of really specific experiences that happen here. Yeah. And back to your American, your your specific American experience. That's that's something that we have here that most countries don't have. You know, this idea of uh, otherism. You yeah. know, because uh, most countries are are pretty. You know, uh, monochromatic, I guess. In a, uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, right. culturally, right? Sure. So, you know, it, it, for, for, for many, it's changed over the last few decades, but, you know, when you're British, you're British. When you're French, you're French. When you're, you know, uh, Mexican, you're Mexican. Right. When you're American, you could be any of those things. Yeah. And you could be criticized or other oh <laughs> for being any of those things uh, or celebrated yeah. even sometimes. So, right. and that's sort of a unique thing about the American soup um that's different from other places so i think i think when you talk about manufacturing making things when you talk about making making things come from that comes from inspiration mm-hmm. an idea that you had um uh and then you you have to it has value and you have to figure out what that value is and who it's valuable to and um you know and when it's great it's great and so i think we have more of that here than most other countries um, that's not to say it doesn't exist in other places. Sure. It's, it certainly does. Uh, but there's just sort of a cultural, um, positivity, you know, they, they, my English friends, uh, say Americans are, are annoyingly optimistic. Uh, and I think <laughs> yeah. that's true. It's like, we always have this, there's always something else we can do that's going to make everything better. Um, yeah. that, and I, I think it's sort of uniquely, it, it, it's, I'll say uniquely American, but it's, um, I, I don't know that it's only American, but it's, it's sort of, it's a unique component of being brought up here. I think so. I think so too. I mean, and I can think of so many examples, for example, salsa music that's popular among the Latino community that came from New York city. And it was a mixture of different cultures, different music. Um, also in Puerto Rico, which is a Commonwealth, uh, American, a U.S. territory. Um, but now you look in different areas, you know, in South America and Colombia where salsa is really, really popular and you, and you, look at like the how it began it became in in the clubs in new york city right there's so many punk music um, punk. Yeah. from new york new york city as well and i think i think you hit the nail on the head i think that optimism maybe comes from our immigrant our collective immigrant heritage this idea we're idealistic and optimistic because maybe we did our forefathers didn't have you know an option not to be they're going into a new area new place where all they had was this vision and this um faith that they can make their dreams right. come true in this new place where they didn't right. speak the, the language and i think also that innovation comes because you have this mixture of people with different viewpoints, different experiences and perspectives and cultures and you, um, and we're all just doing life together. And so because of that, you have kind of this, this, uh, the ingredients needed to create new things. And I love what you talked about making too, because I think a lot of times Americans are painted as, you know, we just consume, consume, consume. And it's, no, there's something special about making, about yeah. creating something from nothing. Yeah. That's the American dream, making something out of nothing. Absolutely. I cannot yeah. agree more. And I've gone over. So, uh, <laughs> Ashley, thank you so much 
for being a part of this. I really, really, really enjoyed this this conversation. We've gone over, so I'm going to have you know special featurettes coming out of this one. <laughs> so I'm grateful for that too. Thank you so much, Lyle. <laughs> this has been fun. If you find yourself enjoying the story forge and embracing the idea and making things matters, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you listen to these things. It helps others find the show and hopefully enjoy it as much as you do. StoryForge is presented by NimbleSmith, a content marketing agency. That's NimbleSmith spelled with a Y. All recording, editing, interviewing, scheduling, and executive producing tasks are handled by yours truly, your host. This podcast would not be possible without the sincerely excellent help of our friend and producer, Anthony Sergi, of Dynamic Art and Motion, who makes a number of other fantastic podcasts that matter. My guest in the house. Music for the program is from the Dirty Art Home Trail, like the guy at home now. If you like the work we're doing, please share the story for you and tell all your friends about it. And you can always send uh, questions or suggestions through the Tell Us Your Story link on the website. Um, that's the-story-forge.com. Uh, or support us on our new Patreon site. You can learn more at patreon.com slash making Just shop our store 